Jedi uses the Force for knowledge and defense, never for attack. Clear your mind of question. I, I try to really get the characters up on their feet as, as realistically as possible. And then, you know, I, I, I get them into a scene and they sort of, they play it out themselves. Uh, if, if I try to control that to a degree, uh, then it just becomes choreography. I was never interested in choreography. I'm more interested in um, uh, the motivation of the characters ethical and, and moral uh, strengths of the characters or weaknesses. I think that's what's, what's interesting. I think that's what people come back to see. Well, the microphone is yours, Cujo. Go for it. Okay. Well, before everything hit the fan this week, I was going to unveil, quite possibly, the greatest G.I. Joe reveal ever. The G.I. Joe animated movie Flat Earth Reveal. I mean, it, it was picture perfect, dude. Like, Globulus, remove the O, Globus. Dude's floating around in an orb with his left eye uncovered. I mean, come on, guys. Hmm. You've piqued my interest, man. Yeah. Well, dude, how, how do you deny it? I mean, it, he had that stick with the worm. When this worm reaches, what, the earth, the, the globe, then, then the then we're encased in a lie, essentially. But all that sunniness had to fade away. I guess the right way to start the proceeding for G.I. Joe 99 is just to send out a static question. It was put out on Twitter. It was put out a couple of forums and whatnot. But I guess I'll ask the present company, uh, what is G.I. Joe to you today? You can introduce yourself as you say what G.I. Joe is to you. Well, I move for it to be alphabetical. Because that's how we used to resolve conflict as kids. If you want to select your G.I. Joe team, everyone gets to go, you know, pick their figure in turn, but it's done alphabetically. Which meant that I would always get stuck with someone I didn't really particularly want, while someone else got to walk off with snake eyes. But in present company, I think uh, that means Paul's up first. Uh, G.I. Joe is my favorite toy, and it has somehow endured itself to me for the last 30 years. It's been more than just a toy. It's been the springboard for my career. It has uh, inspired me artistically. It's inspired me creatively as as uh, somebody who likes to design characters. It has become the model sheet for how I've engineered myself as a professional in my field of conceptual art and illustration. And I'm Paul. <laughs> <laughs> and if we are indeed observing alphabetical order, the next gentleman would be Robert. Hey, this is Robert. Um, you probably heard me before on G.R. Joburg. <laughs> G.R. Joe to me is... Uh, hmm. It's something very special. Um, I think probably more so than, like, superheroes. It's, it's a group of people working together to fight evil. And they're doing it without, you know, anything extra beyond their own conviction that, you know, their enemy is 
is trying to destroy the world and they have to stand up against that and you know kind of like firefighters and policemen they run towards the the danger not away from it and i think i've probably always admired that and giorgio is a very disparate maybe well not disparate i mean it's a very it's a very diverse cast of characters you know across all you know across everything and they're all very interesting and yeah <laughs> i did think about this but for whatever reason i think giorgio leaves me speechless it, <laughs> 99 podcast episodes deep. I'm pretty sure you're anything but speechless, Rob, but I buy that. I like that. Whoa, who's that? Who's speaking to me? Uh, well, this is your sometimes host, Stephen. And uh, if I'm to think about what G.I. Joe means to me, G.I. Joe is a tactile, tangible piece of plastic. But... These are avatars. These are our childhood heroes. And when I hold one of my vintage G.I. Joes in my hand, which is something that I often do, it's a great comfort to me, I'm immediately transported through time to the most joyful moments of my life. When groups of friends would all convene and we'd all just adventure let our imaginations run wild. So, what is G.I. Joe to me? It's a link to the past. And in the language of our host for the evening, Cujo, if you believe that time is a flat circle, well, perhaps in many respects, G.I. Joe is my time machine, through which I'm connected to the past, the present, and the future, because this toy is a constant in my life. Damn, dude. Oscar-worthy. As previously mentioned, I'm Cujo. Uh, you can call me Curtis if you want. You might want to call me something else along the way. To me, G.I. Joe is the greatest cultural mystery we've ever looked at. Nobody gets it, or very few do, but it's a map. It's a map full of clues. I'm not talking national treasure with Nick Cage. I'm talking G.I. Joe with G.I. Joe Berg. I'm not going to go full file card, because that would probably blow my cover, but I'll give enough to, to give my voice context. If you've been in G.I. Joburg, you hear me drop words like gematria, numerology. Gematria is just the uh, Hebrew or Jewish interpretation of that. To me, numbers, symbols, it's actually what our world's built on. Yeah, English is a fancy language, but not everybody's using it, and the people at the top seem to be doing something different. So I guess I got keyed into symbols when I was a kid. I grew up on about 3,500 acres in Northern California. If you know anything about Northern California, you know we don't take any shit, and we are drugs. In the, in the truest sense, we got the best greenery. Let's call it the Emerald Triangle. We got the best wine in the world. Let's call it Napa Valley. What else do you want? Oh, yeah. We got San Francisco that has every tech company and every mine that's pushing the edge. So I used to just pack up my backpack and go hiking. This, this is probably early 80s. Uh, me and my friend would go anywhere, you know, push the uh, limitations of the hikes. You know, we'd jump the fences. One time uh, we were on a different property. I was, I was going up a creek bed, and I came to uh, 
what looked to be like a big rock room. Like, you know, when rocks fall together, but there's space underneath. And so there's like light splashing down in different spots. And me and my friend go in there, a friend that ends up being a lifelong friend and a collector of G.I. Joe. We go in there and there's symbols painted everywhere. It's one of those rooms you just don't forget because the light hits certain areas. And in this one spot, there's rebar sticking out of a rock. And I climb up it. And it goes to a little bed with some books next to it. I don't touch the books. I mean, at this point, I know I'm in somebody else's house and I don't like it. So as a kid, you know, I hot-footed out of there. Sometime later, when I was ready to have the conversation, I told my mom what I found. She gets one of those looks on her face that you get when people get real worried. And she's like, they found dead bodies in there. That's the house of the Zodiac. Now, I don't know if you guys know who that is, but he never got caught, and they made a lot of movies about him. It's just one of those things where you don't ever see randomness in symbols again. So I guess that brings us to distilling a mystery. You know, there's a lot of strange things about the American culture. Say what you will, it's a goddamn mystery. Let's start with something simple that you think you know, but you don't. What about Washington, D.C.? They call that the New Jerusalem because it's nestled between Virginia and Maryland, or shall we say the Virgin Mary. So shall we begin? When there's things going on and there's chaos on the battlefield, you, you got you got to simplify. I mean that's the, that's the simplest thing. I ran into you guys in about the 30s, didn't I? Is that where I came to Joburg? <laughs> it's ancient history now, but yeah, I guess so. We've yeah, released a know. lot of a lot of audio since then. There has been, brother, and we we've all grown a fair amount. But one thing I kind of knew is that something wasn't right in our society. Something isn't right. I mean, nobody knows what this world is anymore. There's there's too many contradictions. But to simplify it, you have to find out what's going on. So I distilled it to two properties, Star Wars and G.I. Joe. Obviously, I know G.I. Joe. I know Star Wars, too. I'm not going to talk about Star Wars today, but let's fast forward. The other part of my file card which will be of note to a lot of the players who start to emerge in this conversation, is after one of my careers, I just was bored. I was fed up. I took a seminar, and what I started to do was study financial trading. I started with the world market. And wouldn't you know it, I found a bunch of wolves, and they raised me. Because I'm an artist, and because I know symbols, it turns out I'm a pretty damn good chart reader. I can find money, I know where it's going, and I know who's spending it. And you can hide it, it gets tricky, but that's kind of the best tool that helped me here. Essentially, give me Fibonacci, give me Stochastic, and I'll ping any network that's around. But let's get to the problem at hand. As you all know, there was some drama online. It's not really important what it was. But it's important what it became, because we're seeing it all over. There's a term called PSYOP, and you guys should probably remember it pretty well going in. Anyway, the fallout from whatever the writer Aubrey Citizen said started a tweet war. The way that you find out who somebody's allies are is you wait for them to make a mess, and then you watch who comes up to put out the fire. Before I get there, 
Let's talk about some notable tweets along the way. It just so happens Ron Mars found himself in the middle of this skirmish. I have somebody else taking shots at him. I didn't track that. I had my own business. But I did happen to meet Ron a couple weeks ago. And I can tell you a little story right now. I caught up with him on the end of day two. The dude had just gotten from a panel. It went long. He comes walking up to his table where I'd been waiting. I asked him on day one, like, you know, when can we chat? He had people in his ear. You could tell he had a long day. He asked me nicely if I could give him a couple minutes. Of course I could. Because Ron Mars wrote a Boba Fett comic a couple years ago, and I saw some stuff in it that I liked, and I wanted to talk to him about it. So eventually that conversation comes. And I took a couple bad angles at Ron, but he was very gracious. And I can tell, I don't know what his background is, but he holds his body composure very well. Um, I don't know if that's something that he learned growing up or something. I did happen to hit him with one question that caught him off guard. I'm not going to share that question now because Ron's a gentleman, and uh, that's between us. But I can tell you this. If you're taking shots at Ron's character, the dude's class, I got his back. I've met him. Enough said. The other tweeter that I'm going to bring forward is uh, Wovable Oaf. You might remember him from such comic book covers as Aubrey Citizen's Butt Stuff. That's not crass. That's what it was. I'm fine with it. I don't have any problem with it. Get nuts. But Wovable Oaf, you know, was repping his dude on his timeline. And, of course, I took a petty angle and he called me on it. Now, I guess this is a good point to kind of illuminate Twitter culture. People take shots all the time. The whole point is not to get personal, you know? I don't know who people are. I don't know what they carry. You know, if somebody's angry, let's just say one of the, the G.I. Joe writers is angry about life, he's carrying stuff that I can't comprehend. It's not on me to judge that person. So back to lovable oaf. He was gracious. He fended me off. I made a point. He made his. And we walked away as gentlemen. And so, Wubble Oaf, I would like to say to you that before people start calling this a hit piece, you are a gentleman, and I hope that I catch up with you at a Comic-Con. We can have a debate about the definition of wokeness or something. But anyway, good times. Cheers, brother. I guess let's get to the player himself, Aubrey Sitterson. Uh, he's been on the book for, what, nine issues? A lot of people dispute his angles, whatever. I take this personal because I'm taking a different angle, and hopefully I can illuminate it properly. But let's just talk about Aubrey's approach to the book. So let's let's start with the black star on the G.I. Joe logo. Anybody got any guesses? I got a guess. This is essentially a satanic take on the book, and, and you're laughing right now. <laughs> the crown jewel to me is not about the G.I. Joe brand. It's about Aubrey. For him, this is this is the, the crown jewel of his takedowns, is the G.I. Joe brand. Let's move right along. He created a character that caused a little bit of a storm. People got bent for different reasons. To me, what it just revealed is something about himself. Let's talk a little bit about Salvo's redesign. To be honest, the first time I saw that picture was the first time I wanted to give Aubrey a chance. So I said, you know what? New school, new tactics. What's this, What's going on here? And in my mind... I envisioned an intro where a new recruit opens up a, a dusty box in the pit and it has that might is right shirt on it, you know, and she puts it on. And of course, you know, Beachhead calls him into line and he sees her and he smiles and gives her a big hug. 
and it opens up a story about her searching for the original Salvo. This actually kind of was revealed to me by one of the readers that enjoyed the book that asked Aubrey a question. Oh, by the way, I'm a forensic tweet stalker. I'm in your ads. I'm in your mentions because it reveals your network. I'm network, guys. Enough said. But anyway, let's let's talk Salvo. You changed her gender, which is a good idea, except for you didn't give her a name. So what I'm seeing from that move is that you brought the armor, but you didn't bring the heart. And let, let me tell you a little something about G.I. Joe. It's layers, brother. That's why I'm talking to you now, and that's why I'm going to be talking to adults later. Enough said. Oh, and one more thing, brother. I'm not going to drive you through the dirt too bad. Because I, I, I want your career to have an open casket, you know? But, uh, dude, you started a hashtag, or somebody started a support citizen hashtag when all this went down. Dude, it was used seven times, and four were to clown you. But let's talk about your following, actually. 11K? I did a bot audit, dude. I'm not going to run you through the mud. But the tweet traffic on your Joe tweets is like a 300-person following. You know, do with that what you will. Moving right along, let's talk about the anatomy of a PSYOP. We got two parties involved, and they arrive on the scene a couple hours after the drama. That's very convenient, isn't it? First person I'm going to talk about is, let's talk about our supposed ally, diversity in comics, or is it comics and diversity? Rob? Uh, it's diversity in comics. Okay, fair enough. New to me, I don't know the dude. Does he show his face ever? He generally doesn't. Well, actually, no, I mean, he purposely doesn't, but he accidentally showed it once, and he, he doesn't seem to, to mind it so much until I think someone tried to dox him okay, fair um, enough. unsuccessfully. Well, a- anybody that's, that's tweeting fire, YouTube and fire, I get it. You want to keep a low profile. But there's something about your video that triggered me, dude. The first thing you do is ping the opposite network. Have you guys seen what's going on in, over at Bloody Cool? I get it. Let's bring the narrative down. Much like Alex Jones, who spits a lot of truth about government, about five minutes in, you take a left turn and start attacking people's character. At that point, you lose the moral high ground. You get me? So whatever experience you have in comics is immaterial to me. I'm going to end it like this. You said that Joe fans couldn't handle themselves against Citizen and his hit team. I think you were in the tweets. I think you saw what we did. We wrecked folk. I mean, th- this is another thing, Citizen. I hope that wasn't your A squad. Because if you send people at me, you know I'm a tweet assassin. So let's just leave this sleeping dogs. What do you say? As far as you diversity in comics, let- let's put you in a box, shall we? Let's say you're real and you did serve in the military. Thank you for your service, but you're of none here. If you approach this narrative again and don't reference this conversation, because it's going to be in front of your face, um, if it's not, get in his comments, put it, link it, then I'm going to assume you're a PSYOP. So handle it how you will. I'll see you in the tweets if you want. Let's head over to Bloody Cool. They're across the drink. Um, I'm going to give them a little latitude because they may not grasp our culture. Uh, I'm not going to call out names, though I could. But I'm going to talk about a hit piece that they put on one of the Joe community, which is a big no-no in my mind. They happen to get an interview from one of the dudes at Yo Joe. Again, I'm not going to mention names. It's not important. But he made a point about how people don't open up a Joe book to see butt stuff. Or he, he said it politely. But he was talking about the cover. 
And the writer decided to get clever. And he said, well, that's funny coming from a property that fetishizes the military. He thought that was probably pretty quotable. Let me educate you real quick. G.I. Joe is not fetishizing the military. It's using the military as a genre, and it fetishizes details. You get me? Now, you probably don't understand what's going on, but we have this little thing called the military-industrial complex, and the only person that's ever approached it successfully in uh, fiction is Larry Hama. So, you know what? Have a seat. You're done. If I see you in the tweets and you don't reference this conversation, you're out in yourself as a psyop. Uh, good times. Cheers. And you know what? Everybody that's in the room right now, repeat after me. Come at Joe, get wrecked. Tell your friends. <laughs> Come at Joe, get wrecked. Tell your friends. I think I'm going to move to the adult table, guys. Uh, Citizen, let's end this with you because that's where it began. I don't hate you, brother. In fact, I love you. You know why I said that? Because it scares the shit out of me, and not too many words do. But you know what? You picked bad allies, and your game is rotten. I don't like this psyop, and it's not your narrative to take. From this moment on, you write fan fiction for Joe's. Enjoy. All right, let's let's talk about the IDW boss. We're going straight up the ladder. As I said, you don't want to mess with us. Let's talk Ted Adams. He's noteworthy. He started IDW. We all know it is, is one of the best comic companies out there. But uh, of note, Ted Adams pens his own book. I'm sorry. Yeah, he, he, he writes his own book called Diablo House. Why is this noteworthy? On cover one, they have two goat skulls, one on the main character's chest and one on his board. That's not really that big of a deal. And by the way, you named your character Riley? Dude, that's two Orange County. I can't read that book just based on that name. But I will lean on the uh, motif of goat gods. Because if you type in at Aubrey Sitterson and Satan, you're going to get a lot of foot traffic of tweets. I mean, these people are down with the dark side. Enough said. Before I move on to my next point, I'll ask a question to the room. Who is Larry Hama to you gentlemen over in Africa? Huh. Reverse alphabetical order, anyone? Yeah, yeah. go for it, Steve. Larry Hama's the reason I talk so good, because while everyone else was reading age-appropriate storybooks and stuff from the library... I, as a seven-year-old, was poring over G.I. Joe, a real American hero. People who encounter me as an adult think, oh my, he's got a rather extensive vocabulary. He must read a lot. <laughs> no. <laughs> Jokes on them. I just read a lot of Larry Harmer. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I sat on the can reading Larry's work. Hours and hours and hours. <laughs> <laughs> In a time before smartphones, I was poring over every single detail of his file cards and wondering what all those words meant. It's the gift that keeps on giving. And that's what Larry Harmer is to me. He's a font of wisdom. And I feel like I've only just scratched the surface. Uh, it's Rob next, hey? Go, Rob. <laughs> Sorry, Rob is always second. <laughs> That means you don't get snake eyes, but you do get someone cool like Duke. Scarlet. <laughs> oh, okay. Shit. Oh, no, we always let you go second because you'd always choose Scoop, so we'd all be like, oh, big loss there. Okay, I'll take Shockwave. Exactly. It's like whoever comes after me is always essentially <laughs> second. 
So Larry Harmer, I think, when I think of G.I. Joe, I think of the way that he he created these characters. I think I've, I've probably said this before, but I only very recently in the last couple of years started watching the cartoons. Um, and I think for some people, those are the versions of the characters that they know. But for me, it was the comic books, but more so, I think, also the file cards. I mean, I didn't have tons of G.I. Joe comic books, but very much so the file cards kind of informed how I saw these characters. And they're just so well written. And he took the subject matter seriously, but not so seriously that it's kind of off-putting and like really adult. It was adult in such a way that it felt real. It made you respect the stories you were telling, I think, to a certain degree. Even though you're a little kid, you're like, hey, I'm, I'm shooting you and stuff like that. You kind of took it seriously, and he made it fun to enjoy kind of running around shooting. But, I mean, obviously not in like a like a bad way, but in such a way that you enjoyed the structure of the stories. And, you know, the kind of the polarity, I suppose, of, of good versus evil, is it's just so straightforward. Yeah, I, th- I think... The way that he created these characters, I think that's the, the biggest thing I take away from Larry Harmer. For the childhood version of myself, uh, Larry Harmer is the unknown scribe behind the file cards, which uh, inevitably got me creating backstories for pretty much any action figure that uh, found its way into my house. His stuff is what forced me to, when I created a character, to always come up with some kind of backstory to it. As an adult, knowing that it was Larry Harmer that actually wrote all of those and had obviously um, written most of the comic books, which I had the pleasure of digesting, so to speak, um, as, as a young teenager, uh, he became something of a role model. Now, as a sort of like, you know, more grown up kid, he is a role model for a lot of reasons for me. Aside from being a fantastic writer um, and a fantastic, you know, creative thinker. I really dig the fact that this guy is kind of like a Renaissance man. I mean, he's, he, you know, he's been in the military. He's a trained martial artist. He's worked as an artist, you know, and still does do a lot of thumbnails and things like that and complete artworks. Uh, he had a band. He was in a band. Uh, he is quite the chef. He He's, you know, he, he's kind of all round really cool. And I look at that guy and I look at Larry Homer and I'm like, and I think to myself, well, when I grow up, I want to be as cool as Larry Homer is. Uh, so to me, yeah, uh, aside from being this fantastic writer, I just think him as a person, as a, as a force, you know, is, is quite a, an inspiration to me. Nice. I think we just brought up the temperature of the room. I'll, I'll shadow those words. I'll also say that uh, Larry Hama is unique to me because I believe his life, at least early parts of it, began in an internment camp, and he's an American. So to me, what that would do is divorce you from keeping culture sacred because early on you you understand that people aren't honest. And he ended up you know, finding his way the G.I. Joe line and creating clues creating characters a lot of these characters we poured over if you want to reference our Cobra Civil War conversation you'll get a clear idea of, of who we think Cobra Commander is 
But one of the design aesthetics to uh, note on G.I. Joe is is actually the first character I ever received on Christmas, Cobra Commander version 1.5. And, you know, typical to me, or I'm, I'm not going to say typical, but uh, I just couldn't wait, you know. So I, I kind of peeked on the packaging. I ripped it a little, and I could see the mirror face. It's the first thing I ever saw. And, you know, of course I tried to put tape on it, and, and my parents caught me and all that. But he's got a red triangle on his belt. Of all the other noteworthy accents, take note. Um, let's go ahead and climb the corporate ladder, shall we? We got IDW. Um, we all know it as one of the edgiest and uh, kind of like uh, just alternative comic book companies. Uh, they, they take great angles. They take edgy angles. You know, they, they anger some people. Other people love it, whatever. But they weren't, they weren't killing it early on. In 2007, they were acquired by a company called IDT, which is kind of an interesting company. Ted, you're probably hoping I'm not going to say what I'm about to say. Don't worry, brother. won't be a bloodbath. IDT's logo is an interesting one. If you know Cobra Commander, you know CC is 33. And it just so happens on the IDT logo is a triangle and two Cs. Um, that's clever, guys. But you're dealing with G.I. Joe now. Anyway, that company is owned by Howard Jonas. Um, easily one of the smartest men alive. Um, also one of the richest. If you don't know him, that's because he doesn't want you to. But I happen to kind of dig in. Um, we're walking with kings now, by the way. So expect my manners to be tip-top. I will heed Howard's words in an article or a mission statement he wrote called, But Will Good Character Pay My Bills? He says the best ingredient for a thriving business is humility, to understand that you can fail. I'll work back to him. He purchased IDW in 2007, and of course when something is acquired, people always come on board. I got a hunch that that's where a lot of this stuff started, and I'm not going to get into what stuff, because quite frankly, this is already wordy enough. But Jonas is noteworthy because he only owns two companies. He created two companies, IDT, which, by the way, pays no taxes and is a media conglomerate, which can be undefined, and that's with the money sniffer here. You know, when somebody doesn't pay taxes, that's usually reserved for two different departments, church and state. So keep that in mind. Let's, let's step into the room next door, the only other company that Howard Jonas owns or created, I'm sorry, and that is Genie Energy. If you're not getting a little shiver right now, maybe you should. Let's talk about the boardroom of that company. As Forbes says in an article in 2010, Jonas wooed an impressive talent to Genie's advisory board, including News Corp chairman Rupert Murdoch. That's an interesting name. If you don't know who that is, he pretty much owns everything you're ever going to lay eyes on if it's moving. But let's just say for now, in 2016, he became the acting CEO of Fox News. If you want to get back into symbolism again, FOX and Gematria, that's 666. It's kind of some interesting company going on here. Let's go ahead and assign people to this. Rupert Murdoch owns all the media. Let's call him Apex Televiper. Let's move on to the next person in the room. 
we got Jacob Rothschild. Now, if you're not familiar with that name, you probably haven't listened to our Crimson Guard conversation. But beyond that, it was once said, if money is the god of this world, Rothschild is the prophet. His family owns 80% of the world's wealth. Let's go ahead and put him at a cool 500 trill. One thing I would add to that addendum is, thank goodness, a bunch of paper isn't the god of this world. Let's call him Crimson Guard. The next person in this illustrious group of very powerful men is Halliburton boss Dick Cheney. You might know him from, well, just about any time in American history. I know him as one of the most dangerous men alive. A military tactician, unlike America has seen. He made famous the 1% doctrine. If there's a 1% chance your enemy exists, you have to take 100% certainty about it. You know that you know they made that into a comic book character? Did you ever see uh, Batman Superman? They turned Batman into Dick Cheney. He's dropping 1% doctrine all over the place. So congratulations for that. Let's call him the man with the most powerful private army in the world, Destro. And last but not least, let's talk about Michael Steinert. If you're not in the financial world, you're probably not going to know this name. But Forbes calls him the king, and on a cover it said, Return of the Greatest Trader Wall Street Has Ever Seen. In that interview, he drops a line that says, There is no sin in making people richer, but it's not the sort of thing in which you go straight to heaven. So you know this man is cold-blooded. The only other thing I can reference about this dude is something he mentioned much later in the article. And that is his net worth at the time. Steinert is the chairman of the board with 14.7% stake, which in the article adds up to $330 million. Nuff said, you're looking at the Cobra twins. To me, Hama's a prophet, dude. He saw this room 30 years ago. You can't write this shit. I'm not vilifying these people. I'm saying that somebody saw this or it's always been. Because there are too many similarities running here. Let's backtrack a little bit. The publishing company that has a monopoly and faces many antitrust suits along the way, as you know, is Diamond Publishing. They cover all of printing and graphic novels and comics. Anybody that's a casual enjoyer of comics should probably know that a diamond is just a rubber band stretched around the points of a pentagram. You can go ahead and look at their logo if you like. What I'm trying to establish is that a lot of people are going to tell you we live in a world of technology. We do. But if you revisit our uh, uh, Ghost in the Shell conversation, I, I think you might find out what this room feels about such things and the intrusion that, that, that we're feeling. But I digress, and I approach all of these individuals with humility and respect for the hard work that they have put together here. You're talking vision that's unparalleled. So let me bring you back to Howard and his mission statement. But will good character pay my bills? The first excerpt that I just want to take from here is a paragraph which, which was difficult for me to understand 
Uh, this article is beautifully written. I would recommend it to anybody. It taught me a few life lessons just in a couple read-throughs. But early on in the game, he, he's talking about how to market things, you know? And uh, he, he, he created a perfume, and he only sold one bottle. The experiment cost him 25k. But in the article, he says a 33-year-old lady bought one bottle of it, and it, it changed his life. I, I, just, I thought that was a little stirring. I enjoyed reading that article. Thank you, Howard. But he, he uh, at the beginning of this article, drops a story, which may work much better as an allegory at this juncture. And he tells a tale about a kid who's slinging hot dogs, you know, to make money. He laments the fact that kids don't work anymore. You know, everything's given. But he's in the trenches in 1970, selling hot dogs right across from a watering hole. You know, colorful, good traffic. But uh, one day, a machine comes rolling up. He calls it a mechanized cart. And some dude hops out and starts waving a knife in his face. You know, I'm going to cut you good. But because of an earlier kindness, a lady, an old Asian lady, pops out of her store. And the dude with the knife steps to her. He doesn't know she's got family coming. And they roll deep. And they give that dude a what for. He never forgot. But after that, they bought more hot dogs than Howard had ever sold. And on top of that, they left him a $20 tip in 1970. I guess at this juncture, I would ask one question, if I may. You were the hot dog vendor in that story. Who are you now? And just to take the edge off, you got some sloppy goat god worshippers in your propaganda slash psyop arm, just to let you know. Guys, I hear a lot of rich people, a lot of smart people saying that data is the new gold. I gotta disagree. Integrity is... How do you quantify integrity in a digital age? And furthermore, how do you find the right people to find the right conversation? Well, Hama just gave us tools to go to the penthouse, and I hope I didn't waste my words. I said a lot of names. I said a lot of shit. I have nothing but respect for everybody I mentioned. Yes, we're at different places. I get that. But if we encounter each other, I hope we can see eye to eye. This has been G.I. Joe Operative, codename Cujo. I do occult specialty, but I, I moonlight as a true detective, as you know. That's it for me. And this is the former host of G.I. Joe Work, Steve. <laughs> Stop uh, that. Saying, uh, <laughs> gee, guys, I'm out of a job. No, brother. Let's clear up one other thing. You got G.I. Joe Berg. What is it? it it's a toy podcast to some. It's something else to some other people. But guess what? It's a glo- <laughs> I'm not going to say global. You almost got me. It's a <laughs> worldwide network, dude. And it's low profile. We ping in six different continents on day one. And I'm pretty sure if we're good, it's going to be quite a bit more. So let's just, let's just all be friends. Y- you can cut the friends out. We can all be... But- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you've often caught yourself thinking, man, that Cujo fella's onto something, then this is clearly the episode for you. And one other thing, everybody. Our good ally from Belgium, Half the Battle Timmer, 
If you're a fan of his YouTube channel, you know what he's about. If you're not, I would urge you to take a look at an initiative that he has started involving getting toys into the hands of needy children. It's a very worthy cause and one that G.I. Joburg would like to throw its full support behind. So check out the description of this episode and you'll find a link to his video where you'll find all the information you need. Did I mention Justin Bell? Not yet. Let's do that now. Um, uh-oh. Sorry. No, no, no. Not uh-oh. The G.I. Joe community, there's a lot of different houses of Joe, and, and they're all kind of skeptical of each other, but at the same time, we all love, you know? Justin Bell is a pillar of integrity in this community. What he did, that was a boss move, because he made a stand against, you know, possibly his professional livelihood. I see you, Justin. You got allies, and I appreciate your integrity. Are you listening, Hasbro? Stop giving this brand to CEOs and get people that love it involved. Enough said. Oh, and if you're still at IDW after this, you've uncloaked too. Not not to draw a line in the sand. Yeah, but pretty much <laughs> to draw a line in the sand. <laughs> well, I, I'm not buying anything. Dude, if a company has Dick Cheney in the next room sitting Indian style with a bunch of friends, uh-uh. Uh-uh. Even if they're smoking peace pipe? I don't think those guys know what peace is. <laughs> Touche. Paul, Rob, close us out. <laughs> well, uh, Kucho said his thing. Uh, this is uh, Paul being very quiet and listening, uh, saying uh, good day or good night, fellow listener. <laughs> this is Robert. Um, I've had I – th- I feel like I'm very – I don't like using the term woke, but I, I definitely feel like I'm more awake now than I was when we started this this episode. Um, I hope everyone will take the time to check out the names, maybe that Kudra's mentioned, the conversations if you'd like. And just think twice, you know, about what you're connecting with in the world, not in a malicious way or in a bad way, but just kind of keep the goodwill, keep spreading the, the, the goodness and be honorable. Yeah, for sure. And remember, G.I. Joe is number one, comes first. It's the best thing in the world. And what comes above the number one thing, it's us, the fans. So fans first, and, you know, we're all fans. So yo, Joe, and yo, out. (laughs) You a funny, funny man.